Welcome to our Thought Leaders Talk Business podcast, where we tap into the minds of business consultants to gain insights into strategies to help you gain a competitive advantage. Our guest today is Mike Wisman, a business executive with 40 plus years of progressive experience in Fortune 500 manufacturing operations and quality leadership in military, medical device, and pharmaceutical industries. Mike has held high levels of responsibilities in multifunctional, multi-plant, and multi-divisional arenas. He offers an extensive background in device and biologic manufacturing, total quality management, operational excellence, supplier performance improvement, and assessment using the Malcolm Baldridge National Quality Award and Shingo Prize Criteria. He has helped companies improve performance to world-class levels. Mike, thanks for joining us today in our studio as we start exploring world-class leadership as a process. Well, thank you, Debbie. It's nice to be here, and I look forward to our discussion because it's a topic that I I truly uh, enjoy. And uh, as an examiner in the Baldrige process, I grew to see many different types of uh, leadership styles and, and processes. Well, let's start off by looking at leadership. Can you describe what that process looks like? Well, you know, when you ask a question like that, it's not as if there's a magic formula, but it is important to start looking at leadership like it's a process because so many leaders, when we first started asking them, uh, they thought of their own style. They thought of them. They were the leader. Then we found others would say that uh, I am nothing without my lieutenants and the people who support me. Those were better answers. We gave them better marks and better. we rated them higher as being a better system. So what I thought we could talk about today, what I thought were some of the best practices that I saw, uh, what uh, we learned, you know, some areas to, to really look at when you're into leadership. Uh, and go through the elements of it. The first thing you think of as a process is there are elements to it that include equipment. There are things that include people and resources. And and then, of course, there's the design of your process. If you become a person who's a a nerd like I am that has studied all the different ways of uh, process improvements, and you realize that any process, once it's designed, is only capable of a certain amount. And you you need to be able to measure your process some way to understand what that amount of achievement is. You know, can I achieve what I even want to achieve with this process without redesigning? You know, any process, even a a process like leadership, is prone to design errors. It's prone to becoming obsoleted. There's a, a lot of things that you have to pay attention to. And, and once leaders are aware of that, once they start looking at it that way, they, they will hopefully have a better chance of being on top of it. When you start thinking of leadership as a process, you know, I think of the elements of the Baldrige because the Baldrige criteria sort of give you a breakdown of things to look at. And the first thing we look at is the role of leadership. The main role of leadership is the reason why leaders are there is to create mission, vision, and values. You want to tell everyone in the organization what clearly what our mission is, what our vision is for the future. You know, it's usually a longer term range plan and and you don't want to limit yourself on vision. 
You know, it's like people who we want to become the best buggy whip manufacturer in the world would have gone out of business immediately when cars came in. It's why companies learn to say we want to be the best creating accessories. But they, they tried to broaden their their scope so that they could uh, continue to grow. Again, these were just things that we thought, well, that looks like a good idea, you know. And you started seeing companies that really started looking at their leadership process like that begin to grow otherwise. Because you, you do find out, and this was something that many leaders would tell us during our visits as examiners when we would ask the question, what do you feel like was your biggest limitation on achieving the success you've achieved using the criteria and going forward the way you've done? They were all telling us the same thing. It was us. We had to really realize we needed to change. We, the leaders, needed to understand that we weren't the people that were standing in the way sometimes. That So you have a process where it's dependent on people making decisions that interface with the company. That's too late. If I need to make an exception for an order and I'm taking that order and I can't make it, I have to wait for someone's boss's boss's boss to okay it. I'm limiting myself in terms of the way I can satisfy that customer. As you start really looking at all the elements of leadership, you begin to realize the little red flags that go up in a leadership process that pinch off the the communications, pinch off decision-making, and begins to, to make people unsure of what is the mission. I would love it, Mike, if you could address strategic planning within an organization incorporating the implementation of a leadership process. What would some of those key elements be? Well, I like your question because we're really beginning to get into the kind of strategy that I'm talking about. As opposed to I'm the leader and I'm going to drive the strategy. It's like, what is my strategy? What kind of leadership do I need? What kind of people, where do I place them? Uh, because what are the elements of your leadership process? It's usually going to be yourself, the senior leadership team, and then a structure, we usually call it a military style type uh, of structure that has you know, colonels and, and different people, lieutenants going down towards the floor. And then we might get frontline that we could call leads or we might call them uh, group leaders. Or then we also look at the idea that within any, any organization, there's probably natural leaders that the people themselves look to to say, what do you mean by that? And these are people that are very important to you. So once you start figuring out your structure and how you want to link and communicate your mission, vision, and values, your strategic plan begins to be focused then on how to achieve it. And you need to never forget that within achieving that strategic plan, you, you want to make sure you're developing the leadership to support it. So there's just the, the little checklist that your mind needs to create. Uh, then Baldridge sort of helps uh, folks do that because it starts off with this list of, of major categories that say, do you do this and how do you do it? And once you see how you do it, it makes it easier to do it the next time. That makes total sense. One of the areas that you often talk about in our discussions is the need to develop a succession plan. And I thought about that when you mentioned the presence of those folks who are natural leaders. 
once you have developed a, a succession plan, how does that work? The very first thing that I say, have you really identified everyone in your organization that you consider to be a, a key individual? I look at organizations and say, these days with us trying to be lean, we think we don't want anyone on our team that we don't need them. You know, So these are all people we need. But within that, unless I'll use a restaurant as an example, a, a restaurant uh, has a, a chef that everybody's coming for. And the owner may not be the chef. The owner and manager, the person who's looking to make some profit off this uh, business, uh, is wanting to delight their customers and they glow every time they come in and eat, you know, this fine food that your chef is making. You know, you begin to say, how would they function without that chef? Would the whole business die? So, you know, you want to look for the people in your organization. It might be someone in a, in a design process that's a chemist that uh, is creating all your, your formulas. Uh, but it's kind of like every process probably has some people that you would say, I would have a hard time replacing. And the ones that you do need to replace that, that would keep the business going, let's go back to our chef example, would be uh, I want that chef that, uh, first off, I want to reward them and pay them well to let them know how much they mean to the business. It may even mean creating special stocks for them to say, as we grow, I want you to grow because I never want to lose you. You know, because they're that important. You realize that in a restaurant. You know, I know that as a frequent restaurant diner, I'm going there for the food. And who creates the food? That chef, you know, so the, the people that are the cooks in the back. So I want a dynamic plan to be retraining my chefs. I don't want young people that are working for that chef. And I don't just want one because it is rare, but occasionally... Uh, you, you could have something happen to your chef. They decide to go, and at the same time, they take the younger one with them. Because, again, you're going to expect that loyalties are, are beginning to, to form when you have that kind of a training program. So when you talk about succession planning, you want to take your whole map of your process, leaders and the people that are key to that process, and identify. But doing it once begins to now give you the ability to do it every year, review it. How's it working? It gives you the idea that I've got a lot more secure process to give me the team that I need to go forward forever. Everything that you've talked about so far is developing the process and designing a strategic plan. How do you take into account and assess the risk factors in an environment? It's getting into the same little pattern. You, you notice how um, I'm going to talk about what's called Adly. In the, you have an approach, you deploy it, you, you basically have to do the learning and the, you want to make sure it's implemented. And I always think of what is your approach uh, to whatever process you're talking about. And each one of the elements becomes sub-processes and can be looked at the same way. So when you're talking about risk, you begin to look at failure modes. And there are lots of, of folks out there that they make a living just off of te teaching people how to identify failure modes. So if you do a tool, and most organizations now probably get into this term, failure modes and effects analysis, FMEAs, uh, those those kind of tools uh, help you start brainstorming and thinking about what are the ways we can fail. 
And much like the pandemic that's happening today, what are the failure modes? Well, the failure modes, we're beginning to see some of them we didn't think about, you know, and, and as you see those things, you add them to your list so you can plan them for next time. But failure modes analysis and risk assessment, once you've designed your process, you begin to look at ways that it can fail. One of the examples that come to mind in my early career was I was a finance officer uh, for the U.S. Army. One of my jobs that I started with was a pay master. I was, uh, I was called director of dispersing. And dispersing just meant that I dispersed the cash and the checks. I actually was the guy who, who created uh, the, the sign signature for the authorized signature people. Uh, I put the right ones in the machine and I printed out checks wherever they were supposed to go, pay um, and different types of things we paid to companies all went through my office. One of my risks was was robbery. You know, I was one of the, in some ways, the one of the biggest cash bearing banks in the area as part of my little office. I had a vault and I had two to three million dollars on payday in cash. In the long run, <laughs> you know, I started thinking about all the ways I could rob me. I'm, I'm an insider, so if I can think of ways that uh, a person who doesn't know who's just trying to rob me, I used to have brainstorming uh, with my military police because they were the people that guarded me. So I looked at failure modes and I looked at ways and risk assessments that, that could help me keep that from happening because that's the next step. Once you have your risks assessed, within the rating process that an FMEA allows you, you, you get the ones that are the most probable and the ones that will then cause your business to sink if they happen or damage it the most. In the long run, you're basically using your tools to try and come up with as many ways to mitigate and eliminate these risks as possible. So one of the early on examples that we had for companies that examiners helped identify were what would happen if you if you had a fire at your main plant where you now started making all of everything that you sell because you consolidate. Used to, it was spreading things out. People would spread their things out for many different reasons, and some of it was transportation reasons. You know, I wanted to locate a plant in a region where they used it so it could eliminate the amount of shipping that it took to get back to that uh, that community when, when it was time to sell it. But once you started getting these easy transportation modes that are almost looking free to us, you know, like Amazon, you begin to say, I can have one big center and ship it all from there in, in, in hours. You're constantly looking at a process that's changing. And that's why you have to keep adding in the risk factors. You have to keep looking at how does my risk change and so on. But it's this review that we've also learned that smart businesses need to do. Every year when you talk about leadership, when you talk about design, you know, your strategic planning, when you talk about your risk assessment, make sure they're up to par of where you want them to be. You're, you're basically reassessing them on a regular basis as part of that program. So once everything is put together, Mike, how do you actually get it out the door and set everything in motion? <laughs> well, you're on the right track because that, that's the next play is, is I want to get it out there. I want to make sure it's deployed. We call it deployed well. And, uh, you know, this is one of the first things we look at 
in, in, uh, is any system, is it working, is the question I ask. That's your main test of deployment. Is it working? And, you know, you have to, in your mind, say, how do I determine this work? In the old days, it seemed like the boss just went around and took a look, you know, and that was probably as effective as they had at that point. But then someone else started saying, well, you know, don't you know they know when you're coming and they just hide all the bad stuff? And and he goes, well, they do. They shouldn't do that. Well, I know, but they do because, you know, what does that tell you? That's kind of a simple statement. You begin to analyze it and you say, well, one, your people are afraid of you because you've got some process in place that keeps them from wanting to tell you the truth. Could it be the way you appraise them? Could it be the way you evaluate them and give them rewards? So, you know, we call this uh, uh, creating a process that has no fear. You know, if people can tell you anything because it happened and you're not going to blame them, there's a lot more openness and there's a lot more ability to make sure that everything's working properly. So deploying is, is, a, is another big question that companies have to address. They have to spend the idea and the time how do I make sure that everyone understands their role in making this process work? How do I know that they have in place what they need to be able to make decisions at their level and to, to make it keep flowing smoothly? You know, I can look at risk assessments in that area. I can basically go down my little checklist. I can, I can improve this process and make sure it just keeps humming like the element of the chain that it is, you know, and make sure that it's never going to break. At the same time, I don't have time as a leader to go to all my sections. So what does that mean? Well, I, I need processes that are in place that will automatically keep my people informed so they can inform me. So in my mind, one of the examples that I like that I use personally, and teach one level down and check the level under it. So by that, what I mean is, is if I am the senior leader and I, I check out all my direct reports and train them personally, I communicate with them. I make sure they're able to do what, what I intend for them to be able to do. They're specialists in their field. Is there anything special they can teach me that they need from me that would help them better do their job? But I'm making that effort myself to get these key people functioning the way the vision and the mission that I have envisioned for them is, is going to make it work. Then on days where I go out to take a walk, I visit some of the people that report to them and say, do you know the mission? Do you know the vision for your area? Do you have the tools you need? And if they say, yes, sir, and they, they really start showing me all the things, my boss taught me this and they taught me that. That's what I'm talking about with the little process that I just you know, teach one level down and, and check the next level underneath. If that works all the way down the organization, everybody on the floor which should be being checked every day by their boss walking around and checking the, the work that the group leaders have conveyed to them and making sure that the group leaders are all teaching and, and training everything that you want to be trained. So just as one process of deployment, uh, that's one of the keys. Because, again, the people are the ones that are usually going to do it. If you've got uh, an automatic process there, then you just need a way of checking the automation and making sure the program is working properly. But you can't forget it. It's, it you know, just depends on where it fits into your 
your definition of importance to your business. Mike, how do you get all of the folks who are involved in the deployment to agree on the metrics that are going to be used to assess success? Well, again, you're very good at the, the questions you ask in, you know, in my mind, because you've stimulated one of the major parts of any process is the facts. Factual decisions have to have facts. And how do you create facts through measurement? It was interesting as we grew in business because I came through an interesting time when um, leaders would come up and say, Mike, you uh, seem to have some knowledge. And especially when I started learning the Baldridge criteria, they said, uh, we don't have strategic planning per se. We have the annual business plan and that's about it. And you started realizing that companies 30 years ago, 40 years ago, some of them didn't even have a plan. They just came in every day and worked based on a work schedule. They, they basically were reactionary, I call it. And so when you start talking about metrics, you start looking at every process needs to have a measurement system that measures it and makes sure that it's working. Let's, let's take the top of the chain. You start with the mission, vision, values. I can measure whether or not my mission is being achieved. I look at the elements of my mission of what I'm, I want to be the best in the world. Well, what kinds of things do I need to know? I need to know who else makes this, who else delivers this service. If I want to be the best at what I do, I need to find people like me who want to be my competitors and find out how they're doing and then how well I do against them. Because my role would be to beat everyone else out there and make sure every customer that's able knows it and knows that I'm the go-to person because I'm the best and I, I can outproduce, I can give them better value. Now, how many people as leaders have you heard just go out and say, I want to be the best? And they never pursue any of that. They will never know that they're the best. And I have dealt with companies, I even worked for one fairly recently, that the leader said all the time, we're world class, we're the best. I say, kept saying, how do you know? And one day, out of frustration, in the, in the staff meeting, he said, Mike, you keep saying that. He says, we have customers that love us. And I quickly said, yeah, but they're captive audiences. You sold them a product that they, they know they needed, and now that, they, it's, that you sold it to them, have to buy it from you because they put their whole system into that way of, let's say, medicine that helps save their patients and to make life better for their patients. And I said, what happens when the clones come out? When we lose our patents, we all buy generics now and drugs don't. Our insurance company even say, why do we do that? Because they offer just as good for less. So when I start looking at measuring and, and being able to keep all these things in play, I want to make sure that my measures have benchmarks that I can determine at what level of performance are they. I am really interested in hearing from you some of the short-term and long-term benefits of a company's quest for world-class leadership. Well, it's interesting you ask that because I think, in, you know, Baldrige has done a fairly good job of following its own practices. And the Baldrige process has constantly fed examiners uh, 
some answers to questions that, that uh, senior leaders do want to know. So your question is perfect. The senior leaders want to know, why should I do this? Why should I spend the time and effort to follow this criteria? The answer to that was that we started developing the performance index the best we could of how these companies that were pursuing the Baldur's that we had some input from. Keep in mind that an application has all of the key metrics that a company uses to determine its world class. They followed our pattern, so we're using metrics we thought we needed. So we're looking at this, and what is the bottom line performance? The bottom line performance is that they're the best in their industry. That's who Baldridge wants to recognize, the best in an industry. Well, in order to prove I'm best in the industry, industry, I have to have metrics that show that. Well, now let's go back to the leader and say, why did this become important to you? Because if you're the recipient, if you're the one who's, who's doing it, it's too late. You've already learned that. You've already achieved the, what we wanted. You, you, you've become a passionate leader who knows all these things and, and wouldn't go a day without measuring and making sure they were, were following the Wallace criteria. But here's a new person who's saying, why should, I, why should I do this? I'm successful. I have a pretty good program. Well, would you be interested if I told you that the, the companies that have done Baldrige have tripled the performance of the stocks of companies that didn't? Employees, they were number one in their market, paid their employees double what the, the average wages were for people in their market, and they had triple input and growth of any of their competitors. The leaders begin to start seeing that there are measurable achievements these companies are making that is proving the model is working, the criteria are working. The basic thing is performance, and you, you really got to somehow make sure they realize, because sometimes it's an individual cell, Debbie, that, that you know, you're, you're talking about specifics to them and where they could stand to improve. That they're going to begin to say, yeah, you're right. I could use this. But once they make that decision, they also then are faced with all that challenge of putting the time and effort to, to build their approaches, deploy them, and to measure. Because that's how you're eventually going to be able to learn and improve is through that constant feedback that you get from those measurements. I once saw a site impressed me that uh, every day you could walk out onto their floor and their employees had the top five things listed on their line that had to be achieved for the day and the measurement that was expected to be achieved. In other words, I want to, I want to see you grow the output from 80 to 85% on this line. When you start looking at goals like that, when I give a small percentage that you think well, 80, 85, that doesn't sound world-class, we got to realize every measurement is specific to a process usually. And we're just talking about a performance index that I created that I'm telling them they want to get 80%. I've reestablished the bar. I moved that bar down to where now they're only achieving 80 because I want them to keep growing. And their output and their metrics are all tied to that performance index. Every level had a metric that showed what I needed to achieve today. And that was probably the most powerful I've seen. There are others that, that they give you weekly and monthly checks. Your monthly checks are probably minimal now. 
These are companies that they review their key indicators on a monthly basis and make adjustments before the year is out. You can know the day you close your books how well the company did and be prepared and be, be making risk assessments that are new. You can be making changes in your business plan. That th These things are so complicated when you think about all the elements of it, but the basics come back to understand your approach, deploy it, measure it, make sure it's working the way you want it to. That's the basics. Then from that, what I get to do is learn and improve. You know, I'm learning factually every day how well I'm doing. I'm making adjustments and improving based on that feedback. Once you become the best, you won't know that you stay the best unless you keep measuring it and you keep staying on top. I can win the championship this year. And what does that mean next year? It just means everybody will be gunning for us because victories are short-lived. They should be celebrated but then they won't catch you anything for the new year. You, you basically got to keep, keep after it, keep on top of it. What we've always called continuously improving. Oh, good summary. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma it's surprising that a lot of people are really just getting started, Mike. There are companies and organizations out there that are striving to formalize their world-class leadership effort. If they want to reach out to you, what would be the best way for them to contact you? But my email is uh, mrwhizsr at aol.com. So it looks like Mr. Wiz Sr. My wife calls me Wiz for Wizman. So it's not that I think I'm a Wiz. So mrwizsenior at aol.com. And my phone number is 847-271-5075. That's terrific. Thank you for joining us today. It's my pleasure, Dave. I can talk so much on, on so many of these areas. It almost seems endless to me because in some ways the journey is endless. Thank you for listening to Thought Leaders Talk Business. If you would like to contact Debbie Fleeman, please email Debbie F at creative techresources.com or call 847-902-4175.